ball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. How's it going, everybody? We are back. Another episode of Nosebleeds on this March 11th of 2021. Spring training rolls on as teams prepare for the 2021 season. We preview the Yankees and Mets, talk Zach Britton injury, and the Mets practicing winning the World Series in spring training. Here to break it all down, the other guy on my Zoom screen is Chris Hennessy. I'm Nick DeLuca. Chris, always a pleasure to be back with you. How are you today? And the first thing that came to mind for me was the Mets practicing winning the World <laughs> Series because I thought that might have been one of the most absurd things I'd ever seen. I am good, Nick. It's good to talk about baseball as the, uh, the weather in the Northeast warms up, but yeah, it's funny. What do you want to talk about? Oh, did you see the video of the Mets practicing winning the World Series? <laughs> doesn't seem doesn't seem as important as injuries and, and previews coming out of spring training. But um, it, it is a funny video, to say the least. I mean, there is something to be said for those expectations and acting like you've been there before or saying that this is something that we're going to go after. But does that seem arrogant, especially for an organization that it has been such a struggle for for so many years? And let's make no bones about it. The Mets, for the majority of this century, have not been a good baseball team. And I know that they were in the World Series more recently than the Yankees in 2015. And I know that every Mets fan is going to point that out. But when you look at the body of work and the resume, the consistent results have not been there. And especially after a team that had very high expectations, even greater expectations this year, but high expectations last year as well. And to face plant the way that they did in a 60 game season was surprising to see them turn around and say, yep, we're, we're world series or bust expectations because I think they have a good team. I like what the, I like the moves that they have made throughout the duration of this off season. And yet I don't know that I believe they are true world series contenders. And we'll get to all of that as we preview the season for the Yankees and the Mets and a little more broadly, the rest of major league baseball. But I'm just not at a point where I think some of the issues that I see for them, particularly in the bullpen are Mm -hmm. at a place where they're a world series contender right now. I completely agree. Um, I think you look at losing Brad hand to the nationals and that that's going to be a huge loss both ways where your bullpen is getting worse and the nationals bullpen is getting better. Uh, you have to expect a 2018-type season out of Edwin Diaz and not a 2019-type season. And how can you expect that when every ever since he put on the Mets uniform, he's been abysmal? So I think that those are two. Uh, certainly the bullpen is a huge, huge factor. Um, not having the DH in the National League is going to hurt them as well. It kind of hurts their fielding, trying to squeeze Donald Smith's bat in there. But I think they'll be okay on that. And it's the pitching really it's the back end of that rotation with David Peterson. And it's the, it's the bullpen where there are still question marks, even after uh, the first off season of the Cohen regime. I thought it was interesting that you brought up Edwin Diaz. And I want to talk about him a little bit because I think he falls into a category of players that may be adverse affected, adversely affected by having fans return to the stands 
-hmm. Not that he had a great year in 2020, but I think he is one of those guys who really struggled with the murmurs and the reaction of the crowd in New York City coming from a place in Seattle where nobody really cared because the expectations were slow, so low and they've been so bad for so long, holding the longest active playoff drought in North American sports. But when you look at the way that 2019 just got up on Edwin Diaz and it was such a struggle and every time he had a lead in the ninth inning, holding your breath as a Mets fan, oh boy, here we go again. And then someone gets on. And then they're in a position to tie the game. And I think he is someone, not that you want to call him fragile by any stretch, because these are guys who have made it to the major leagues and deserve respect in and of itself for doing that. But I do think there is an element to, it's easier for him to calm down, easier for him to focus on the things that he wants to focus on. And I am fascinated by Edwin Diaz, by a guy like Gary Sanchez on the Yankees as well. How will those guys be affected by having fans in the stands? I almost think that Gary Sanchez could be improved by having those fans, just with that focus thing that we always talk about with Gary. And I know that you're going to love to talk about Gary in a a second here, Chris, because you are the, the biggest supporter of his. But Diaz, to me, falls in that category where one of those things that you don't really think about or talk about as, okay, we're opening up. We're going to have some fans. The Rangers are going to have full capacity. We should get to that in a moment as well, which is a ridiculous decision or or surprising, I suppose, depending on where you are in the country. But interested to see how he reacts to the the different environment around him because it will – I think be an adjustment for some of the players, the way it was to go to no fans now back to fans again, I think will be, be a difference and, and will change things up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think that he can kind of turn that chip around where if he goes out there and saves in his first three appearances, I think that he can kind of get a ball rolling here where maybe he's not as good as he was in 2019, but or in 2018, but he's not as bad as he was in 2019, where if he could, if he could just be serviceable, the Mets fans aren't going to go crazy. You know, if, if it's because it was in 2019, it was every single day he got out there. It was a disaster. So I think the fans can negatively impact him, though, if um, if he does struggle out of the gate, because uh, there are expectations around this team. And if he is ruining game after game after game and you're in a, you're in a division with the Braves, who are just two games or one game away from the World Series. You know, they're not in the cakewalk division. Um, so I think that that would be certainly very interesting. Uh, if he does kind of falter, will they put somebody else in that closer role? And now that you don't have Brad Hand on the roster, is it going to be Trevor May who goes back there? Is it going to be Dylan Batantis who goes to the closer role? If you have to take it away from Edwin Diaz, um, that's going to be, yeah, really, really interesting to watch. Interested to see how the NL East shakes out, too, because when you look up and down that division, you got the Mets, the Braves, who were and a win away from the World Series, Philadelphia Phillies in there with Bryce Harper. And that's a team that I think a lot of people think highly of in year two for manager Joe Girardi, the Washington Nationals, a couple of years removed from winning a World Series. And you still have Scherzer and Strasburg if they can stay healthy, along with Patrick Corbin at the top of that rotation. And then even. Derek Jeter and the Miami Marlins, who a lot of people were down on and did not think much of going into last season. And yet they made a surprise 
run to the National League Division Series. So this is a really good division. And I know that there's a tendency because the Mets had the most activity in free agency, but I don't know that that necessarily makes them the best team because they have a lot of ground to make up. And as you mentioned, in a really difficult division, they will be helped presumably by a little bit of an easy, easier schedule because when you also match up with the AL East and have to play the Yankees the way that they did and the Rays in particular, that's a, a tall order for them and for any team in 2019. I want to pivot a little bit and get into the Rangers' decision to, at least for the moment, plan on holding fans at full capacity, 40,000 at Globe Life Field, the place where the World Series was held for the Dodgers and the Rays. So this was extraordinarily surprising to me. Well, maybe it shouldn't be surprising to me because of the state of Texas and the way that things work out. And I'm not saying that you can't push the boundaries on how many people are allowed because I, I do think that there is some caution that is taken perhaps to an extreme in some of these situations because of the environment that we are in. And now with people being vaccinated, I could see a line of thinking. I and mean, what I'm getting at is where you would say, all right, I, I can go to 70% capacity. If say we've got a, a quota of 30% of the people who are there are vaccinated or something mm -hmm. along those lines to figure all of that out. But the idea that the Rangers are blindly saying, okay, 40,000, we're opening up, we're all set, good to go, is surprising to me. I'm curious to see, I guess we'll find out how effective masks are in this situation because of everybody being so close together and having a mask mandate. But I, I'm also curious about how the players and that organization are going to react to a decision that is out of their control. I say the organization in the front office, but if you're a player on the Texas Rangers, do you feel comfortable going into the stadium, going to work every day, knowing that you are really being put at what seems like an exceptional risk right now with, with a full stadium going out when you're playing every day. And I know they were taking a risk last year, but at least there were a number of protocols that were put in place where the players would accept it. This just seems to be like a disregard. And I'm, I'm interested to see how some of the players on the Rangers react going forward, because I wouldn't expect there to be some negative blowback at some point here. Yeah. I think what you said at the end there is what I'm most interested to in, in as well it is, what are the Rangers and the visiting teams of the Rangers going to think about this? At the end of the day, the MLB has said time and time again, this is about the safety of the players and the personnel around, but then they allow a team to go 48,000 with masks on for 48,000 in the building. So if there's an uproar from the Rangers, I can't, I wouldn't be surprised at that, at that at all. I'm trying to find the capacity of Globe Life Field right now. Is it 48,000? I think I it's 40,300. It's something like that. 40, I, I wasn't sure exactly what the number is. That's what Wikipedia says. You, you tell me if you trust Wikipedia or not. We can get into that. That'll be, that'll be next week's show on the Nosebleeds about whether we trust Wikipedia or not. But it's just, it, it's really interesting to me and interesting maybe in the most polite sense of of what the decision is being made and 
in fairness, nothing bad has happened yet. I am certainly projecting that something that is not what we want in terms of health and safety would occur. But you know what? I suppose that I'm supposed to give it a chance, so I will. I just don't think it's the smartest way of operating. So that's me. That's my take on it. And and I hope that everyone is responsible and safe because that just seems like it's a situation headed for something that will not end in a great result. But who knows? And I hope the players are the ones that are, are safe because, again, the fans can choose to go to the games. Players, this is where they work. And to put to put them in such a difficult position is is unfortunate. So it's hopefully just, the, the Rangers look. can figure this out. Yeah. It's just a bad look for sports in general, too, because the Super Bowl was bad. Super Bowl, if you're on uh, any sort of Twitter that isn't sports Twitter, people were like all up in arms that 20,000 people were at the Super Bowl. And now we're going to do double that at a regular season baseball game. It doesn't seem necessary, but they're in Texas and we're in New York. So that's how it works. Yeah, it is. Removing the mask mandate. All right, we'll, we'll get past this. We'll, we won't dive too too deep into the politics of the whole situation, but it is it is interesting. It is it is certainly interesting to say the least. So let's get into the, the 2021 season preview. And I want to start with the Yankees and a team that has sky-high expectations after losing in five games in the ALDS a season ago. They have most of the team back. They re-signed DJ LeMahieu which was priority number one over the offseason. They were trying to turn around Gary Sanchez behind the plate and figure out what is left of a starting rotation and a bullpen that has seen some significant changes over the last year, in particular in the starting rotation with Masahiro Tanaka on his way out, as is James Paxton and some of the key cogs in the middle of that rotation. They bring in Jamison Tyon, two-time AL Cy Young Award winner of the past, Corey Kluber, both of whom barely played in 2020. Kluber with the one inning pitched in his first inning with the Rangers and then needed shoulder surgery. So a lot of question marks for the Yankees in the middle of the rotation. When is Luis Severino going to be back for them? What is the fifth spot in the rotation look like right now? How much do you trust Jordan Montgomery? What does the bullpen look like? We'll get to the Zach Britton injury in a moment with a couple months out for him on the shelf because of an elbow issue. So a a lot to go into with the Yankees and and what their season looks like. But with all the question marks, make no mistake about this. The expectation is that the Yankees reach the World Series this year because it's not to say that they got exponentially better, but it doesn't seem as though anybody else in the American League got exponentially better. So they should be in a great position to contend for a berth in the World Series. I think that's where the expectation is. If you lose to the Dodgers, lose to the Padres, okay, but you better make it to the World Series or else I would imagine for Aaron Boone and that coaching staff. Yeah, I would totally agree. Uh, I did a nosebleeds with Baccia just after they got eliminated by the Rays and, and he is a Mets fan. And you and I are Yankee fans, so he kind of had a, a more level-headed look at it. But how I saw it was, this is a team with the with arguably the best one to nine batting order in baseball, certainly in the American League, and they cannot beat teams that are simply worse than them. The 2017 Astros, they were probably better than them. 
2018 Red Sox on paper, you could probably say the Yankees were better, but they lose to them in the playoffs. 2019 Astros, you could probably say the Yankees are better on paper. They lose to them. 2020 Rays, absolutely better on paper. They got dominated by them all summer long. Be teams that are better than you, and you're going to the World Series. It's be teams that you are better than, I should say, and you're going to the World Series. And it doesn't seem like it should be that difficult. Now, the starting rotation, yeah, it presents a lot of questions. But if you're able to get, you know, 70% of what Corey Kluber was five years ago in the third spot, and Jamison Tyon was proved to be pretty good down in Pittsburgh, I, I could see that being a serviceable rotation with Luis Severino coming back. Um, obviously, Garrett Cole is number one, and um, that is a guy who, when they go, when he goes out there, they have a chance to win every day. But I, I, I think this is make or break for Aaron Boone. I don't think there's any way around it. You had, you, I mean, Joe Girardi got fired after taking a team who had no business being in the playoffs, the ALCS. And now here's Aaron Boone with a team that has proven they're just as good, if not better than every team in the league. And they can't even get to the world series ever. They're not even as close. They've never gotten back to the point where Joe Girardi got fired with Aaron Boone. And then that to me is, is a huge red flag. Yeah, and questions about really more the environment in the locker room regarding Girardi than the on-field results, but the point is well taken because they have not reached I don't care. that I plateau care. Of, of being within a game of the World Series. I, I'm with you. I agree 100%, and that's why I agree with you in that this, this probably is a make-or-break year for Aaron Boone, and there are some who may disagree, who say that the Yankees have exercised more patience and ownership than they have in the past. I just... I think at some point you you would want to mix something up because the time is ticking for this core of players before you are looking at some bigger paydays for some of them and time running out. I, I am confident in their rotation, perhaps more than most are, because I like what they have done. When you have Garrett Cole as your number one starter, that's a great place to start. And then with Tyone and Kluber, I think there is some potential there. But also, when you operate on the premise that this is a team that's going to make the playoffs, I, I just I, there, I don't see a scenario in which they don't make the playoffs. That would be Aaron Boone can leave five minutes after the season if they don't make the playoffs in, in this year. There's, there's no way with the way the expectations sit right now. But to me, when, when you look at the rotation, if you, if you assume they're making the playoffs, then what does it look like for the postseason? So Garrett Cole at one. You've got Luis Severino then slotted in it too, assuming he's healthy, which is a big if, but I, I feel like he should be in a position to be healthy in the postseason. Tyone, Kluber, anyone else in the mix, Montgomery in there. But then you feel like you're covered because you only need the four starters. I know it doesn't look great on paper, and there's always a lot made about who's going to be the five starter. And evidently, there are going to be more starters than even those five. And where do other guys fit in, whether it be – Domingo Herman, who is in the running for a, a fifth starter position and an interesting dynamic with him in the locker room as well, to say it politely with everything that has gone on mm -hmm. with Domingo Herman's past and perhaps Clark Schmidt, who has been sidelined for the next couple of weeks with an injury as well. Guys who will be in the mix for that number five starter spot. And it's always something that's made a lot of and yet someone is inevitably in that rotation going to get injured throughout the entire season they will not stay healthy one through five the entire year it almost never happens 
So they're going to have to expand to the depth, but then it condenses in the postseason. So I'm not as worried about the rotation. I think they need to be able to put themselves in a good enough position in the postseason to pitch. But again, this is a, this is a thing where I only need five innings from you unless you're Garrett Cole. Then I'm expecting six or seven. But if Severino gives me six innings of, of one run or two run ball, you mentioned the lineup being the best in the American League, one through nine. That's enough. So the Yankees better find a way to win that game. And, and I'm also interested in the bullpen, too. Well, and the way that the that... Rotation, sorry, yeah. Before we move off the starting rotation, we did not mention Davey Garcia. Who Davey Garcia, was, too. I missed him. Yeah, you're 100% right. Very good for them last year. Got the short end of a ridiculous stick in the playoffs. So still PO'd about it with Jay Happ in this, the opener. Um, and he could be he could be great for them this year. I, I have really high hopes for David Garcia. Anyway, the bullpen. You're just upset yeah. that that didn't work. Um, no, I'm not. I'm upset that anybody in their right mind would have faith in Jay Happ. Well, you can be upset with Jay Happ. I think the way the season ended, I'm I'm not. I, there's a reason he's gone, and I'm not upset that he's not here anymore. I'm just saying that I think the way the season ended, I would have. I would have gone with him, but hey, it is what it is. You're paying him the amount of money you're paying him. He's supposed to go out there and pitch, and he didn't pitch. So I don't know. Yeah, no, That's just true. me. But he didn't pitch because he stinks. So. Right. He didn't pitch because he stinks, and there's a reason he's not on the roster anymore, and the Yankees have moved on. So that is what it is, and, and Jay Happ, a unbelievably wealthy Minnesota twin, which is a side note that we don't have time to get into. But, yeah, and, and then getting into the bullpen a little bit, right? When you look at – the way it underperformed last year. And that was just, that was to me the most frustrating thing about the way that the Yankees were in the regular season, because you look at the injuries that they had, okay, they're not hitting as well as they should, or the starting rotation. We knew that that wasn't a great strength going in. That was the biggest question mark. And yet, despite all the, the massive injuries in 2020, it's the bullpen that starts faltering and blowing them games. They, it, they had leads. There were leads to be had in the sixth, seventh, and eighth innings, and yet the Yankees could not hold them down and very often weren't even getting them to a role as Chapman, and that was the biggest thing where it, it was just time after time where they were blowing leads and just imploding in the bullpen. Adam Adovino at the top of that list, he's now a Boston Red Sox, but the Yankees are, are trying to figure things out and right the ship in a bullpen where they're going to be without Zach Britton for the opening couple of months, and I'm fascinated to see how they will piece this thing together because with Chapman and Chad Green in the back end and some of the other pieces that they'll have, would it be, again, who loses out on that five-starter spot? And is it David Garcia who would be in the bullpen as a, as a longer guy or Domingo Herman factoring in or what else does it look like? I, I, Jonathan Holder may be in the mix again. There are just a lot of things that are there for the Yankees bullpen and perhaps more unanswered questions than we're accustomed to on the Yankees back end. Yeah, absolutely. You have to also remember Chapman is suspended to start this season. So that's a, another thing to add on to it. I know the suspension isn't very long, but um, it is another thing to add on. It's just the one game. Yeah. Yeah. So just for one game, it's, you know, Chad Green and a bunch of who's who's who. Um, there. And then uh, uh, Chapman, Chapman will come back for game two. Well, yeah, the, the bullpen is something to be concerned about without Adovino and Britain. Um, and Britain will come back. But 
I, it, it's concerning. There's no doubt because with those guys, they were bad last year and they really didn't add anybody of terrible consequence outside of Justin Wilson and Darren. They had Justin Wilson and Darren O'Day. Like, okay. And none of those guys are moving the needle for me personally. If you can get a good season out of a guy like Michael King, a guy like Domingo Herman, maybe a Luis Sessa, that'd be nice, but you can't guarantee that. So I, no, none of their free agent acquisitions in the bullpen moved the needle after a season where their bullpen was atrocious and they got rid of Adam Adovino, who was terrible last year, but is an arm that we know can be a top-notch arm in that bullpen. Well, yes and no. I thought he could be a top-notch arm after year one for him in 2019. And then after about midway through the season, he just fell off a cliff and that thing never stopped falling in 2020. So I'm – I'm with you, but it was just very clear that as a guy who you you feel like should have a bunch of potential and should be someone who, based on the stuff you could rely on, the Yankees really couldn't do that last year, which was frustrating, to say the least, because you feel like you've got a guy in Adovino waiting in the bullpen, and you just can't bring him in because the dude couldn't either throw strikes or get people out. <laughs> when he threw it in the strike zone, they were they were hitting it, and when he wasn't throwing in the strike zone, they were laying off and he was walking people. So it was just, it was not a good year for Adam Adovino. And I feel like if the Yankees really thought he could turn it around, they wouldn't have traded him to the Red Sox. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe I, they I want to see him at this point. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the whole thing, but. It was very obvious in the playoffs that only two people were trusted and it was Burton and Chapman. Yeah. It, it was very, very, very clear. Not even Chad Green at that point was trusted with the season on the line and Burton and Chapman didn't get it done either, but. Um, there were only two guys trusted to come out of that bullpen after Garrett Cole left the game. Yeah, I'm with you. Chapman, Britton at the back end with Chad Green. I'm, I, I like O'Day and Wilson. I think that getting a little bit left-handed and O'Day in a submarine sidewinding right motion could be good for them to diversify the way that their bullpen is operated. I think they have a lot of similar arms as well so perhaps something that could be effective going forward but we'll have to see how it goes and we didn't even mention Jonathan Loisaga is another young guy in that mix as well as as probably a bullpen arm at this point I don't think that they're in a position to say he's going to be someone who is a starter for them let's shift to the Mets here with sky high expectations a trade for Francisco Lindor in Steve Cohen's first offseason as owner of the Mets, James McCann brought in to catch a couple of moves for them on the back end of their bullpen, but largely the same. And a roster that has position player wise stayed pretty much intact. It's, it's pretty much the same with the addition of Lindor at shortstop and hoping that that will be significant for them going forward. And a rotation that has a few question marks with DeGrom and Syndergaard at the top, along with Marcus Stroman. So you feel like they've got a pretty good top three. Again, for them, the questions being the back end. But to me, again, as we mentioned off the top, most prominently the bullpen. But I'm curious to see what your expectations are for the Mets because of the moves that are getting a lot of buzz because of the way that they have gone about things, but also with the knowledge of this is a really difficult division. And in year one, sometimes it's hard to become this bona fide contender. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be hard, but I think that their, their lineup can get it done. 
Um, obviously, they're going against the MVP in Atlanta, you know, however, however many times a year. So it's going to be tough. But I think that this division is the only thing holding them back from pretty much a guaranteed playoff spot. Yeah, I think that they should be in the playoffs. I wouldn't wouldn't say that they're a necessarily a World Series team yet. That's just my read on it. Because I feel like you just need that performance out of the bullpen that I'm not so sure they can give you. And Seth Lugo injured to begin things is not going to help them. I But even, even so, the only addition really to the back end is Trevor May. And then perhaps Lugo is a full-time arm in the bullpen. But I just don't know that you feel great about where they are on the back end right now. Again, with the concerns about Diaz, I, I just, I feel like they could be in for another year of some of these games that whether it be Diaz or not making it to them, where they're in a really difficult spot in terms of just closing out ball games. Yeah, uh, without a doubt. And, and I think that just not enough was done for what was most, the most glaring deficiency on this team for the last two years which is the bullpen and I think you can say the same thing about the Yankees where in the field and at the plate they got better in a position where they're already where they're already very good and now they need bullpen arms and they don't have that because they lost that on Brad Hand and they didn't get Trevor Rosenthal or Darren O'Day so to me I think that there are some certainly some questions and until we see them beat the Braves I'm not going to believe that they're better than the Braves yeah, and they're banking on some guys to return to form, whether that be Dylan Batances, who has not seemed like the same pitcher after leaving the Yankees, and that, of course, coming off of a torn Achilles, which is more the reason for it, but he hasn't looked the same in his first year with the Mets, and they add some others with Diaz in the back end, Jerry's Familia, which had been a complete disaster of a signing back in 2019. And they're seeing if they can get him back on track Is Selman in that bullpen, Aaron loop, they brought in with Lugo and may. So there are names out there, but you just question about whether they're going to be effective enough. And I, I was talking about the top three for the Mets rotation as well. I also want to throw in Carlos Carrasco, who is someone who has been extremely effective coming over in that trade for Francisco Lindor as well so really a top number four three than Strowman. yeah I yeah I really, really a top Strowman. four I, i'm i'm of the opinion by the way just not to take a shot in passing by marcus Strowman, but the results for him outside of one really good world baseball classic do not seem to be there for me that's just my opinion there he seems to Especially be i'm not saying he's bad i'm not saying he's he's not somebody who should be in the major leagues but an ERA that is dangerously close to four for a lot of his career outside of one world baseball classic that everyone really liked. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I think that especially for the Mets, he's done absolutely nothing. And it's his right to set out the season. I, I completely understand that for last year. But in 2019, when he got traded over, he didn't really do anything. And now he's on an $18 million qualifying offer. Um, what is, I mean, not essentially it is, a prove-it deal. Um he has to prove to the Mets that he can be their three, four starter with Carrasco. And if he can't, uh, we also have to mention Syndergaard is out at the beginning of this year. He's recovering from that Tommy John. He's not going to get back to the early summer. So now he's going to get the chance to really be the three starter. And if he can prove it but until June, and then maybe get bumped back to the four and prove it through the, through the summer that, that he's their four starter. There's no reason that they shouldn't pay him. 
Um, but if he can't, he's not going to be a Met anymore. I don't think that they're tied to this guy emotionally outside of they just needed an arm and said, ah, screw it, here's the qualifying offer. So he has to prove it big time this upcoming season. Yeah, I'm with you. As somebody who you love to see the players succeed, and I love Marcus Drummond's personality too. I think that's a good mm-hmm. thing for Major League Baseball as a guy who's more outspoken. But it, I just – I'm not saying he's he's somebody – you'd want him on your team for the right number, but he's not this top-level guy to where you'd say, oh, well, the Mets, they really have three aces with Syndergaard, DeGrom, and Stroman. I mean, there are levels to it. And I think that for whatever reason, Marcus Stroman, because of the propensity to really like his personality perhaps, is, is looped into that category, which I don't mm-hmm. think is 100% right. Before we get out of here, I want to get a firm prediction for both of us on the Mets and the Yankees season. What What's the record? Where does it end? What are you looking at for, I think, the Yankees in, in particular here to open things up? I mean, I'd say between 95 and 102 wins for both. I, I think that both of them will have exceptionally good seasons. Um, and if, if you're um, – in the Vegas land, that is the over for both of them. They're both in the low 90s uh, in that realm. Um, I I do think the Yankees won the AL East. I think the Rays got significantly worse by trading away Blake Snell. And just having Glass now is not as dynamic as having both of them. As for the Mets in the division, again, I find it tough to say that they're better than the Braves yet. And and once we see that they're better than the Braves, I have no problem picking them to, to, to get over that hump. But for the last decades, they have not been better. They cannot beat the Braves, and they cannot beat Freddie Freeman. And they got better by adding Charlie Morton. So, to me, I, I'm still going to pick the Braves to win the NL East with, you know, 102, 103 wins. But I, I can see the Mets getting into the mid to high 90s on wins and really locking down that number one wild card and, and maybe playing against the Braves in the NL, NLDS, which would be very interesting. So, um, playoffs for both AL East champ for the Yankees. I'm going to go 90-plus for the Mets. I think the Yankees win 100 games again. I think they win the AL East again. And I think this is the year the Yankees are in the World Series. Now, do they win it? Who knows? Would I pick them, depending on who they are matching up with? Perhaps not. But I think this is the year that the Yankees, with really just the White Sox to contend with in the American League, or so it seems, with a manager that seems to be very out of touch on the side, of the White Sox, an experiment that is is very interesting as well in Tony La Russa. I think this is a year that the Yankees are going to be in a position to succeed and to advance to the World Series for the first time in a while. And the Mets, I think it is 90-plus wins. I think it's a wild-card berth, and we'll see where it takes them. But I would not expect the Mets to reach the World Series. I'm going to go with the Yankees. And two things on on players. I want to do one Mets and one Yankees, and I'm going to – Start with the Yankees here because this is going to be the, the source of debate. I know where. Right Who's where the starting going. catcher for the Yankees going into the playoffs? Am I the manager or is Aaron Boone? Who's the manager? Like, am I, who would I make the starting catcher? Well, I'm I'm asking what's going to happen. I, I guess if you're the manager, but I, I think if you're the manager, it's not fun. Then, what do you think Aaron well, Boone's going to do? If, if Aaron Boone's going to start Gary Sanchez, and I'm going to start Kyle Agashioka. I. I don't see any, like, Gary Sanchez, oh, he had a big home run. Yeah, so did Jay Bruce. Is Jay Bruce going to be starting in the playoffs? No. 
So stop talking to me about spring training home runs. Gary Sanchez is not good. He just isn't. I'm sorry. He's just not. He's not good with Garrett Cole. He's not good at the plate. There are a multitude of reasons why Kyle Higashioka is not only Garrett Cole's personal catcher, but the starting catcher on this team. And I, I can't, I can't imagine a world that that actually happens because um, we live in a world, we live in a Yankee world where everybody is just like mesmerized by the every so often home run of a guy who can't play catcher and can't hit for hit for contact to save his life. Wow. I think it's Gary Sanchez. I think it's going to be a bounce back year for him. He is, he is better than what he has shown the last couple of years. And I know that 2017 may be a little while ago, but when you watch what he did, he is capable. And I think that baseball has a funny way of evening itself out. He is not terribly far removed, even from 2019, where you take it. He hit 30 plus home runs in 2019. So it was not a good year for him. It happens every so often in a 60 game season. And particularly when you don't have the ability to prepare for a season in the way that you would like, I think that does have an effect when you're rushed right into things. So Gary wasn't able to get on track. We'll certainly grant you that and did not look good for a majority of 2020, but I think he puts it into gear. And and on the other side for the Mets, I want to talk a little Pete Alonzo because the same guy who was really good in 2019 uh, down 2020, where do we feel like he will be at the end of 2021? I do see a resurgence for Pete Alonzo. I think what you saw from him was one of the great rookie seasons we've ever seen. And, and a 60-game season really got to him. Now, competition at first base is, is going to be a real reason to push him because Luis Rojas has proven that he can just throw Don Smith in there. And Don Smith can provide just as much, if not more, as Pete Alonso can. Uh, with the Yankees, the Aaron Boone has not really proven to just throw Kyle Higashioka in because he wants to, other than the Garrett Cole personal catcher thing. So I think that Rojas has a little bit of a shorter stick with Alonzo, which is going to push him. And we've seen him be so, so good at the plate that I do see a bounce back year for him for sure. Yeah, I, I think that he is also in a position to play a little bit better. And it's always easy to say because, oh, 60-game season and you were really good. Oh, that that's something that will translate to 162, 60-game season that didn't go so well. It was just COVID and all the environment around him, they'll bounce back. But I, I do think that Pete Alonso is in for a better season. I think that he is without question the Mets' first baseman of the future. There's no debate about that. So I, I think he will have a better year, and the Mets are going to need it because that was one of the reasons for their struggles in 2020 was him not playing up to the caliber that he did in 2019. And that's not to say – that he necessarily will reach that. That's something we've seen from a number of players. We just got done talking about the Yankees and Aaron judge has not been able to replicate a season that he had in 2017 as a rookie in which he won rookie of the year would have won MVP. If not for Jose Altuve and the Houston Astros doing what they did. And in the same way, we just got done talking about Gary Sanchez, his first full season, Ben 270 hitting close to 40 home runs and driving in a hundred and, that hasn't been there. So it is something that happens for guys who very often can come up and not be able to replicate the success that they had just 
the rest of their careers. And sometimes that does happen. And it's, it's a different sport. It's just different animal when pitchers are able to get a read on and a handle on the way to, to pitch you. So that's it for us. The spring training preview edition of the nosebleeds. You can catch us every week on iTunes every so often. Anyway, not every week. We're not doing this every week. Cause you know, we got to spice it up a little bit. WFUVsports.org, wherever you get your pods, Chris Hennessy, Nick DeLuca. Happy weekend, everybody. Enjoy spring training baseball.